Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org. Welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm your host, Bob Zaltzberg, along with co-host Lori McRobbie. Today we're going to talk with guests about Indiana's school voucher program, known as the Choice Scholarship Program, changes that have been made to it, and the impact on public education in the state. We have two guests. Joining us on Zoom is Eric Weddle, the managing editor for WFYI's Education Desk, and Carrie Mixa, who is chair for Indiana Coalition for Public Education in Monroe County. You can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition and send us your questions there. You can also send questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org. If you'd like to come on the air and talk to us or just leave a question with our producer, you can call us at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 877-285-9348. So Eric, Carrie, welcome. Thank you for being here with us and good to have you back, Lori, and it's good to be back myself. It's very good to be here. <laughs> All right. Uh, Eric, I'd like for you to set this up if you could. So the school voucher program has become um, more and more newsworthy in the last few years. Mm-hmm. So can you just uh, explain a little bit about what it is? Because there are always a sure. lot of terms that are out there. So. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's good just so people understand, you know, this was created back in 2011 as uh, kind of, you know, a number of years there was a large amount of school reform policies passed in Indiana. And um, when the program was created to basically provide um, an amount of state funding to eligible families, mostly low-income families, to get money to help them pay to attend a private or religious school of their choice. And shortly after, um, you know, the law was created, um, the State Teachers Association, they they, um, contested it in court. And um, the program, we know, went to the the Indiana um, Supreme Court, who found that it was a legal program. And that um, decision has kind of allowed the program to ex- to continue to exist and to um, expand over the years. And as it's expanded, we've seen an increase in the number of students who are eligible because a succession of. Um, of lawmakers and and Republican governors in the state have changed the eligibility requirements by expanding um, who is eligible. And over the years, we've seen it go from low-income families to being able to access this voucher to maybe middle-class families. And now we're in this era where basically nearly everyone in the state of Indiana qualifies to receive some state money to pay for tuition at a private school. Um, And as that debate's gone on, you know, there's been questions of the cost of it and how that impacts um, um, traditional public school funding. Eric, if I can go back and just check my memory. um, Sure. If I remember the the, um, Supreme Court ruling really came down to the argument that the state's not giving money to religious programs. They're giving money to parents, and they can give yes. them to religious programs, right? So Yes. Okay. That's I remember, too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, Carrie, how, how is this affecting public schools and things that you work on? Well, uh, 
to we ICPE was created back when vouch, the voucher law was passed. So our organization has been in existence since 2011. In Monroe County, we formed in 2012. The state group is 2011. Um, and it, oh, I do want to point out that even though that um, case proved that the money was going to the parents, in reality, there is no check going to the parents. That money transfers to the school. The, there's no, this is not an educational savings account where it goes into a bank account and then that parent can then just put that money and write their own check and send it off. Um, how this affects public schools is that, you know, there's only one lump sum of money. And when you have the voucher program, Taking off from that lump sum, there's less money for public schools. Um, in terms of keeping up with inflation, our state has not done the best job of keeping up with inflation in terms of education funding, um, and that affects public schools. And the result is you're seeing more and more referendums being passed just to pay for teachers in school districts. Um, and so what seems like a cost savings to the state is just just a transfer of expenses to your local communities. And it only works when the community can invest in the public schools, have the ability to. Um, and, you know, nowadays have the belief in public schools and want to invest in public schools. I, I should mention we did reach out to some people who would be um, either people who are involved in the legislature. Uh, who were on the side of the bill that yeah. passed, and we couldn't get anybody to join us on the program today. So, yeah. just want to make sure. so just just to, this may be obvious, I think, to everyone, but I just want to clarify the way the money actually does flow. So, so parents would enroll their students, and there would be some kind of interaction with. They would the have an application. It, mm -hmm. I see. Yeah, and they then, would. They would fill out an application with the school, um, and uh, the school would handle the transfer of funding um, to, of the voucher to to their to them. But the thing is, is that the, in terms of accountability, we don't know how that money is being spent. As in terms of taxpayers, we don't know what happens once that money is transferred over to that school. How it's being spent. Um, we are. We do excel at um, keeping track of how that money is being spent in public schools. There's audits. There are no audits for private schools that accept um, taxpayer funds. So that's kind of where I wanted to take this. Thank you for, for going there, I, which is the requirements that are on schools receiving voucher money yeah. in terms of curricular standards. Mm -hmm. um, it's minimal. What about, and I assume that students, uh, well, let me ask first, are these schools uh, accredited? Are they, mm -hmm. are they, they, they are. They have to be accredited. They have to be accredited. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We have accredited um, public, private schools and non-accredited private schools. The accredited ones are the ones that are allowed to receive vouchers. I see. So, mm -hmm. and then uh, in terms of tests testing students are still required to, to go through ISTEP and other mm -hmm. yeah now called I learn yeah they're learn. required right. to right. take Thanks. those tests um, and but but in terms of you know um, anyone going in and checking to see if they are following the agreement that they assigned with the state saying that they would cover all the topics um, uh, required um, that's not I don't believe that's really happening um, 
I could be wrong. I wish that there was someone here that could say, oh, no, we do go in and, and confirm that they are teaching about, you know, um, the Holocaust and, and things like that. Um, so in terms of um, it's just it's a little frustrating as um, taxpayers to um, n- know that there's no accountability on, on this f- money that's more and more money each year, more and more money going to these private schools um, that is in the same bucket that um, public schools pulled from. Yeah. Right. And that do have and to have to go through the these have have transparency requirements. So Absolutely. Uh, uh, and maybe this is a question for Eric on to what extent were those kind of transparency requirements part of the debate? Um, I assume that that was one of the uh, concerns that were raised by those who were opposed to this, the expansion of this program. I'm a little curious to know what the nature of that debate was and what the justification was. Um, if there is one for not not imposing those same kind of reporting requirements, sure. Well, I, you know, I think you know every two years, you know, we've seen an expansion of this program through the um, the increase in um, eligibility. You know, so like I mean, this past year, you know, we had um, there's like fifty three thousand students um, that had a voucher in the previous academic school year. And I believe the estimate is in the next two years, there's gonna be you know 41,000 more students who are gonna be eligible for this program. Um, and so as that debate, you know, in this past legislative session, I think we've seen year after year, mostly, you know, from the Democrat side, you know, questioning the things you, both of you are discussing, the, you know, the audits, um, knowing where money's going. And I think in the recent years, we've seen also a very big focus on the ability for religious schools, in particular, to di- to discriminate against who they choose to hire and not hire. And you know, we just had um, a federal appeals court, you know, for the second time, say uh, Ron Colley High School in the Indianapolis Archdiocese in Indianapolis was um, allowed to fire two gay uh, counselors um, because they were in a same-sex marriage um, with. With different people, so those issues, you know, have come up, you know, year after year to kind of put some some guardrails and accountability on the program, but they have never been um, picked up by the supermajority of the Republicans to add into the law. Eric, I know uh, you mentioned, I think, when you first started talking about this, that you know, the the idea in the beginning was to sort of um, give some opportunities to lower income people who didn't necessarily have the opportunity to get into the kind of school that they wanted to get into. But you recently wrote a story that talks about, you know, the average student receiving a voucher is white elementary school age from a household of around four people with an income of 81,800 people. So it seems as if the this program has, and you've sort of alluded to it, but yeah. it, it came in with with one set of this is our goal and uh, everything's changed. I mean, every two years, everything seems to, to be changing with it, right? So, right. so what, yeah, is the goal? Mean, what is yes. the goal? What is the current goal? What would you say was a, is the current goal? The current goal of, of lawmakers to expand yeah. the bill? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, I mean, Indiana, I mean, was one of, I believe, a dozen states this year to basically make um, to expand their school choice. And I think there were six states that Indiana is included in that 
made universal or near universal voucher programs. So I think the goal um, for for the lawmakers, um, the Republican lawmakers in charge, is to provide, you know, access to the voucher program to everybody. Um, you know, Arkansas, Florida, Oklahoma, and Utah. Um, I think Iowa are the states that also did that this year. Um, so it's part of a national movement to do that. And I'm, I guess. As someone's been following this, I was surprised that there is an income um, eligibility requirement left in this just because um, so few people do not qualify in the state. I mean, like I said, the majority of people qualify. And I believe that is um, the ultimate goal of the lawmakers who are behind the legislation is to provide it to everybody. Carrie? Yeah. Well, what what was originally created <laughs> yeah. is not what it is now, right? Mm-hmm. What that lawsuit was about back then is was for something totally different than what it is now. Um, to put it in perspective, like $1.72 billion has been sent, spent on vouchers over 12 years. And in the next two years, $1.1 billion will be spent. So that's an incredible increase in, in spending. Um, and the the majority of the students that are using vouchers never attended a public school, have no intention of attending a public school. So we're funding a new pool of students uh, in addition to our public school students. Um, it, it's funny, if we didn't have the voucher program and we still had the same amount of funding in the tuition support um, bucket, uh, our local school, like MCCSC, um, according to um, Phil Downs, who's a um, former superintendent up in northern Indiana, um, who does a lot of number crunching, you would get $3.4 million more for MCCSC. Um, and if you compare that to you know referendums that we have to run and, and pay for, that's a significant amount for one year and almost a million for RBB on the other side of the county. Um, uh, it's it's unfortunate that um, what we were sold on in the beginning, or sorry, the public never voted for this, sorry, mm-hmm. what the legislators were sold on in 2011 um, has transformed into something much larger. Um, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's one thing to say, oh, we have choice, and it's another thing to actually fund, properly fund the choice and properly f- fund the schools that can actually and are required to serve all children. Private schools aren't required to serve all children. Private schools can't serve all children. They don't have the resources. Um, what I wish the you know legislators would um, put more accountability into these private schools um, for all the money that's going towards them, for all the taxpayer money that's going towards them. Yeah, and wonder if we can talk a little bit about um, what's specifically what's happened to funding for public K through 12 schools in that same time frame, let's say from 2011, if, if you've right. got those numbers in mind, um, especially given in this past year, yeah. the state had, an, I, I think, an unprecedented amount of money uh, <laughs> to uh, appropriate and allocate yeah. and so forth. And so um, have we seen did we see an, any kind of an increase in the public school budget this year along with this voucher program there's there's been an there has been an increase but if you compare it overall you know we had a significant decrease a defunding um, back in the recession right the great recession 12 you know 13 14 years ago right um, and so we still haven't caught up um, 
you know, they've, we've tried, but then inflation went haywire, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're still trying to catch up. Um, and then, you know, but then you also have to add on top of that, you know, we, we're funding more students. Um, and so we have to, and it's hard to predict how many. They can't predict, um, you know, the, the they try every budget year to predict how much vouchers are going to cost, and they are always underestimating. Um, and so they say next, you know, next two years will be 1.1 billion, but it'll, who knows, it might be more than that. So. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think. Um an interesting thing to note too, and this was, for the, I guess for people who don't follow like everything happening in the state house, they may have missed out on this, um, which is probably the most people. But um, you know, when Republicans released their school budget, school funding plan um, early on, you know, they talked about I think it was like a billion and a half dollars of new K twelve funding, mm-hmm. um, and it was framed as um, a, widely framed as like six percent, I think one year, eight percent the other year, you know, in new funding, um, and. School districts, you know, were happy about that. Um, there's a, a, a device or like a document that comes out that shows the actual funding numbers. And when that funding um, information came out, it actually showed traditional school districts were going to get much, much less than those numbers that were originally promoted. Um, and there was, and it actually led to a lot of traditional school districts reaching out, um, calling lawmakers um, in anger over this um, because there was so much more money going to the voucher program uh, and that increase and not going to them. And the, um, the House Republicans actually redid the school funding plan because of that, which has not happened that I'm since I've been covering it. So it's a very rare thing to have that school budget plan. In like the final like days of the session that happened. Um, and so they, they did get some more money, but I think the voucher program and well also received uh, additional funding through that. So, so as we talk about like the how school districts are impacted, I think school districts, I think often are quiet to speak out, you know, publicly against this because they don't want, I, I think, upset lawmakers. So I think seeing this new budget funding redone so quickly, I think showed that lawmakers were aware that there was a lot of um, a lot of anger coming from the the traditional school districts yeah. for sure. Oh, there's also. Um, there was, yeah, they did redo it in the last <laughs> few hours, it felt like, uh, yeah. of the session. Um, but they also added more requirements, like the they eliminated textbook fees. And so there, there are just more expenses for school districts to cover. And so even though it is more funding, um, hints, there are hints that it's still not enough because you still have referendums happening um, throughout the state. Um, uh, we're still trying to just um, pay for our our teachers who are so valuable. Um, it, it's funny in, in Indiana is like um is we are very um, conservative state in the sense of just how we we move like daylight savings time how long did it take for us to adopt that how long did it take for us to get rid of textbook fees and yet we have this radical school choice program and it's not just this voucher program there are um, two to three other voucher programs we just enacted a new one this year for career um, tech savings accounts um, so it, it's it's a funny state um, to live in uh, where we have some parts that are so slow moving and other parts that are just incredibly radical let me give our uh, contact information if you want to join us on the program today we're talking about um, 
public school funding, and we have Eric Weddle with us from the State House Managing Editor for WFYI's Education Desk. And I know Eric can talk about lots of other issues that have to do with <laughs> with public schools, and so can Carrie Mixa, our other guest, the chair for the Indiana Coalition for Public Education in Monroe County. So if you want to talk about public schools today and private schools and school funding, uh, you can call us at 812-855-0811 or 877-285-9348. You can also send us um, your questions, news at indianapublicmedia.org. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. I looked at the one of the pages um, on the Department of Education website today and looked at the schools that are eligible, private schools eligible for these school choice scholarships. So, as again, I'm trying to make sure that I understand this. I think there were 318 different schools that were eligible for these scholarships. So, um, Eric, before this, the choice program uh, went into effect, um, public schools in the state would have gotten every dollar, and now they're sharing that money with these 318 other eligible schools is that the way can i read it that way i think yeah i think so i mean it's, it's so the money um the money that you know a, a private school receives um for their student who's enrolled there they have a voucher it's basically that money comes from the funding or is based on the funding amount of the school district that that student lives in um so you know so if the student lived in like the you know the bloomington schools um school district and they were going to attend, you know, private school, you know, in Bloomington, um, the calculation would be based on the amount of per student funding the that school district receives. Gotcha. And it would be 90% of that funding? Yeah, 90%. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And okay. and so, yeah, so you're given that amount of money. Yeah. Um, and, and not really given it, but you have that money to apply to your child's tuition, but your child's tuition may not be that amount. And so there that is limiting in the sense that only so many folks could participate in sending their child to a private school because like let's say the amount is six thousand dollars the voucher amount um, but the school tuition is eight thousand dollars for the year they still find that extra two thousand plus the other hidden fees like you know uh, uniforms or books or um, transportation costs uh, meals because these schools don't provide free and reduced lunch lunches for the most part um, so yeah it's um, th- that's one of the things you have to consider um, when that money goes to those schools but um, and another thing uh, and I might be getting off topic here is when a user when a when a parent says I want to send my child to a private school um, and they qualify for a voucher, which is now, what, 98% of the population. Um, you also have to be aware of what rights you may be giving up that are afforded to you in public schools, um, uh, especially when you are um, English language learners or um, special education students. Um, you know, uh, they can they can discriminate against that in the sense that they they can just say we're not a good fit for you um, or you we're asking you to leave um, so there's certain things I don't 
believe families are aware of when they're like this allure of sending your child to a private school on the government dime. Uh, <laughs> it it sounds so fa- you know it sounds great. Like I think it's just because it's it's private and sounds you know. Um, uh, you know, like things you see in a movie or in Gilmore Girls or whatever. Um, it's it's expensive, and if it's cheap, if the voucher, some a lot of some schools, they'll set it up where the voucher is the cost of the tuition. But then, you know, if it's only six thousand dollars, education is expensive. If it's that inexpensive, I you would ha- you have to do your research and question. You know, what are the qualifications of these teachers? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. what's the turnover? Mm-hmm. Uh, those sort of things. Um, you really have to do a lot of legwork. The the state has kind of set it up where it's con- it's a consumer based model, um, which is unfortunate for edu- for for funding because they say legislators. Some legislators may say. We fund students, not schools, right? But we still have systems that exist. We still have a public school system. We still we have a private school system. There's various ones, you know, under archdiocese and what have you. Um, but so we're kind of, if you say it enough, the individuals start thinking as like, oh, this is this is my money. I'm going to take it wherever I want to spend it instead of thinking about community. Yeah, yeah. Uh, th- those three three hundred eighteen uh, mm-hmm. private schools, right? Uh, of those, I- I'm assuming all of these are nonprofit organizations. Is that a fair assumption? I mean, would a would a for profit private academy, accredited academy, be eligible to receive voucher dollars? Eric, do you know? Either of you know the answer to that question? I, I don't know if we even have any like that. Um, we have online, we have virtual online, voucher yeah. schools mm-hmm. that may have a management system that's like, let's say, K-12 or, you know, one of those companies that have, you know, um, you can buy stock <laughs> for that company. Um, but I believe... I, and I could be wrong, um, but I believe most are nonprofit. Um, but yeah, not most, what not what nonprofit well, is doesn't well, mean that's we right. don't it's make a, money. <laughs> well, no, that's that's quite right. I mean, it's it, it really is a misnomer um, it, of in general. But yeah. yeah, Eric, you were you were going to no, I, I agree. Well. Yeah, I agree with what, what was said. Yeah, I mean, I think for charter schools, there can be like a management company that's for profit, but the actual entity that is running it, you know, it needs to be a nonprofit in the state of Indiana. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. And and of those, how many of them are religious, um, religiously affiliated? Do we have a, a almost, sense of that? Almost all. Almost all of them. Yeah, ninety nine percent. and like uh, of of all those that are religious, almost all are Christian. Um, there is Good. like one question. Muslim school, one yeshiva. Um, yeah, so it's the the program is funding religious education for the most part. Yeah, and the state has no say over what textbooks they're using. Right. Um, uh, so yeah, right. But, but they're a non non profit. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, and this is maybe I don't know, not relevant. I'm just sort of curious: is geographic geographically. Um, again, we think about education dollars in the state benefiting mm-hmm. the children of Indiana mm-hmm. across the board, but those private entities are not necessarily in every county, every city. Um, some 
parents may not have access at all. But what what is the geographic spread of those 318? Are they primarily Indianapolis, central Indiana? No. They, you, you'd have more private schools in urban areas like Fort Wayne um, and Indi- Indianapolis and Evansville. We Like within our county here in Monroe, we have five. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the approval of online voucher programs that you can access everyone right. anyone if you have an internet connection you can use a voucher and attend a online school so rural students rural are students. not necessarily no. cut out of this program Mm-mm. nope but you have to you know have a yeah. parent that would be cool with having their kid home all day oh, well that's right <laughs> yeah and maybe after the pandemic especially they're done with that I, um yeah. <laughs> uh, so we have a question that's come in and um And then I have a question that's kind of on the opposite side of this. But uh, Valerie says, and here's her question, why should should the taxpayer have to pay for a program like this when public schools are available? So that's kind of a – I mean, it's definitely a pointed question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, it's because our legislators voted for these programs, <laughs> so you get what you vote for. <laughs> um, yeah, that's. So yeah. So uh, yeah, mm-hmm. on on the other side, I, I guess the the other side would would argue, I, and this was seems to be where we started with this, is that why should private options be available only to people who are relatively wealthy in in the the state mm-hmm. what's what's the what's what's your organization's response to that <laughs> <laughs> um well you know when it was originally created i i, I believe our founders knew that this was going to expand right when the program was created it was for low-income kids to give them the option that wealthy kids have mm-hmm. right and now it has expanded to the point that wealthy kids are now able to afford a, uh, qualify for a voucher. Mm-hmm. Um, why? Why? Um, <laughs> uh, it's. It's. Uh, I think it's just a, a mission to just privatize education. Right. Mm-hmm. The end goal is to just destabilize public schools and just push for just the privatization because maybe. Certain folks don't want to pay taxes. Um, wealthy individuals, primarily, is what I'm getting at. Um, and so, if we privatize, and this might be tinfoil hat ish, <laughs> if we privatize education and we're giving everybody a voucher, we the the growth of that voucher will slow down, and more and more money will be coming out of the pockets of parents to help pay for that tuition, whether that tuition is for um, a charter, private, or public school. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll, they'll switch the model, model. They're already setting it up in the state with the educational savings accounts, which is another admirable program in the sense that it's giving money to special education students um, to use uh, as opposed to going to public schools, right? Because the public schools aren't serving them. Um, We do have a severe special education teacher shortage in the nation. Um, And it's unfortunate that this is the solution. Um, But 
the use of that program is like 100 kids. It's not a lot of kids. You know, when you think about the 53,000 kids that are using vouchers right now. Um, but the educational savings account program is managed by the treasurer. It's not managed by the Department of Education. The education savings account program um, is basically tasked with creating this amazing accounting program, this software that a third party is creating. Um, and I feel like the money is really going, again, tinfoil hat, money is really going towards creating that system so that everything could eventually move over to that. Um, and that's unfortunate because our communities, um, public schools are the heart of our communities. Public schools, mm -hmm. democratic oversight of public schools, our public schools reflect who we are. Our public schools have to serve all children. Um, I, it feels like um, through the growth of these programs, um, some of our legislators are indicating that they don't fully believe in them um, but I, I I wish someone was here to say the opposite <laughs> well I suspect they may all say things like that to um, mm -hmm. stave off some of those interpretations but they're but it, as you it both have pointed out these these kinds of pressures have been with us for a long time and certainly there are people on the uh, or have been advocating for this who have been quite clear um, that they're um, they're looking for uh, a change in the public um, contract, if you will, with respect to kind of open and universal education. And, and we're seeing, you know, obviously uh, a lot of um, concerns being raised in lots of communities by certain elements about about public school curriculum, books, in libraries. I mean, there's this this point that we're at has multiple pressures coming in that I suspect just just guessing that all of that that larger national conversation about standards and content mm -hmm. um, is also probably influencing those who really believe that there is a certain way to teach kids and it's pretty it's pretty specific um, that Eric, doesn't necessarily line up all the time with public school curriculum. Eric, how much of that did we get in this last session? I mean, I, I definitely think, you know, the, the concept of like Indiana's, you know, Republicans want to fund students, you know, that was, that was, I think, said repeatedly, especially when the budget came out. Um, and I think that is, you know, that's how, that's part of a, I think, a very national move on the school, on for school choice. And I think Indiana, you know, the leaders in Indiana are, are behind that fully. Yeah. Yeah. Right now. Um, I, I did want to just mention real quick, um, you know, the state, the Department of Education, for for years now, has puts out an annual report about the school, the the, the voucher program, yeah. and um, it's like a hundred pages. I mean, so and it's very informative. I mean, it has basically every bit of data on how who is getting vouchers, which schools get them, which traditional public schools um, the students are coming from. And at one point, I just wanted to mention from that is. Um, you know, we talked about the original intent of the program being for low-income families. And according to this report, you know, 28% of families who did get a, a voucher this past year made less than $50,000. So while we have seen this expansion, I think there are, there is still like, you know, a, a sizable number of families who are part of that initial idea um, are still using the program. 
I, I, I haven't dug deeper to see like how many of those families never attended a public um, school, which now you can do. Um, but in terms of the income, I, I do think it's good to note that there are families like that that are in the program. Eric, are you aware of uh, studies that have been done about um, student performance in the private schools that have gotten um, voucher students that go to private schools versus public school students? Yeah, there's been a, a number of studies that have come out. I'm most familiar with one that came, I know there's been, I think, one that was last year, I believe, that came out. Um, I'm familiar with one that came out a few years ago, um, I believe from a Notre Dame professor um, and a professor in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and it, it didn't really find the, the success that I think people that supporters expected it would be. I don't want to summarize it because I don't know mm -hmm. off the top of my head, but I, I think it definitely didn't find that students who had left a public school system to attend a private school with a voucher had, was really were academically um, were making the gains that people thought they would. Um, and I know this story, this report was covered by some reporting I did with NPR mm -hmm. um, back in 2016 or 17 that's available on, online. Okay. It seems like that would be. Uh, another area that perhaps um, uh, Carrie, like your organization, could yeah. would want to see more of what's the actual you know impact on the on students, right? What? Yeah, but it's also you have to consider that um, the kids that are accepted into these private schools they're they're chosen by the schools like school choice with school choice schools choose you, um, and so any kind of report that comes out you have to question like you can't compare it to public schools because it's just a totally different population. It's apples to oranges um, in terms of um, but Eric's right um, the growth it was not found for these kids that took vouchers and went to private schools okay. that they were hoping for. We have another question that's come in um, through our producer. Is the expansion of the program perhaps trying to include students from families who have moved down on the income level uh, due to things like inflation and COVID and other factors? Was there any, was there discussion of, of that, Eric, during the session? Um, I mean, I don't, not specifically, but I, I mean, I believe the fact that, so in addition to income, there was several different, um, it was a, tr they called tracks, you know, so you had to also be eligible for a track, like you had a sibling who was already in the choice program or different things. Those are all removed. So basically now, like I said earlier, like mm -hmm. 90, I think six or 7% of all Indiana families qualify um, to to receive a voucher because the only eligibility issue now is in income based um, and that income is um, is around I, I want to say it correctly but it's 400 percent of um, the federal poverty level Correct. for a family of four and it's around two hundred and twenty thousand dollars so if your family of four makes two hundred and twenty thousand dollars or less you are qualified for the program yeah the, the argument was everyone, yeah. yeah the argument yeah. was opposite in the state house in the same in the sense that um, because of inflation because salaries were going up and the costs of things were going up um, they needed to move the bar higher because what was considered middle 
um, middle income is actually like higher in cost. You know, it's not a hundred thousand dollars; it's one hundred fifty thousand dollars. So that that was kind of the argument that they used to um, expand it up to four hundred thousand. And just two years ago, they expanded it to three hundred. Prior to that, it was um, lower. And, and we're talking about three hundred percent above free and reduced lunch rate uh-huh. for even to schools that don't offer free and reduced lunch. Um, but uh, for the longest time, from like two thousand fourteen to 2000 for to 2020 there was a plateau mm-hmm. where like they, they they maxed it out like in terms of how many kids were using vouchers it was pretty flat mm-hmm. um, yes. and then they were like oh let's just amp it up and we're going to go to 300 percent and and then and then this year they're like we're getting rid of all the pathways and go to 400 and i agree with eric i don't know why they just didn't say let's do universal but maybe this was just a um a conservative uh, approach there's always the next session there's right. ex- there's always yeah. the next session <laughs> that's, right. Yeah. That, that's right one <laughs> other quick follow-up to, to this and i'll let Lori ask her question um <laughs> yeah. my follow-up is just technical i mean did this take effect on July 1st? So people will be mm-hmm. starting to, with these new guidelines for this fall. Mm-hmm. And so this fall is when I, it would seem to me we, sh- we could see some dramatic shifts. Is that correct? Yeah. Tuition rates yeah. will be going up. <laughs> that that <Yeah>. I know. <laughs> if voucher rates went up, tuition rates went up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I do wonder, I mean, because I think what people, ex- I think, expect and uh, people I've talked to expect is, you know, the the vast majority of people who are going to use the, the voucher program now are those who are already in attending, you know, attending a, a private school and they have three years probably and they just haven't been eligible. And now they're eligible. So I'm sure a lot of these schools, and I have not spoken to any private schools about this that I'd love to, it's just, you know, what what's their process? Because obviously, you know, they're going to want to help their families uh, become eligible. Um, I do think it's interesting to note, just as a side note, you know, We've been doing this slowly, you know, you know, for more than a decade. And I think the infrastructure is there. The schools know how to do it. It's there. I will think it'll be interesting to see how other states who have gone universal voucher very quickly or just like in the past year, yeah. how they'll actually handle this. Because I think Indiana, you know, has been viewed as one of the leaders in this, you know, no matter how you view it, just like, you know, they do this report every year. The money, I've never heard of anyone really saying the transfer of money doesn't work out. So we know how to do it. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see like how a Florida or Iowa, what happens there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to go back to just maybe a, a point of clarification, but an interesting spin on some of this that I suspect wasn't brought up in the in the session. But this the voucher programs, the schools that are eligible are, are start at kindergarten. Is that correct? There's, is there any pre-K uh, program in any of these schools that if a student is coming in as a four-year-old, let's say, that their family could apply for a voucher? There's no, I believe there's no pre-K voucher um, yet. I, I, Eric, I'm not sure if you... I, for some, yeah, I don't want to speak. For some reason, I, I thought that that was approved this year. Was but it? I, I could, I, that's, I yeah. could be wrong. Because this, this is the case like, of there's, yeah. the, the law changes so frequently that you, you really need to be on your game. Um, but... Uh, I, yeah, it's this. This, this is where it gets tricky because, like you know, um, you have to pay for preschool mm-hmm. in, the, in the public sector, except for on my way pre-K, if you qualify for that. Um, 
uh, and so that's yeah. I'm, I'm not. Yeah, sure. I mean, and, and where uh, you know, I'd like perhaps to phone a friend. <laughs> that might be one. Uh, um, depending on your point of view, more uh, there'd be more than that, but but certainly one positive outcome of a program like this um, when we look at at the kinds of things that need to be in place for families with children under age five right. um, is is this potentially a step. Right. towards providing some kind of public assistance for for daycare yeah and yeah and pre-k yeah and, and eric I, I guess i would ask as a follow-up to that is what what did the the legislature do this year in terms of expansion of pre-k mm-hmm. there definitely was some more money um i'm not okay. i don't want to again sure speak I, I do i can say um i know that the free textbook program um that was announced does not in, include preschool um, that the preschool was, was kept out of that, um, okay. yep. but but there but there was some ex, there was some funding there was some expansion to preschool in, in the state in the state budget. We have a question that's come in from Mary Ann. She's not going on the air, um, and this has to do with you know data collection. She asks: Is the state collecting data on students who are asked to leave private schools, such as suspensions and expulsions? Um, if so, what happens? What happens to the voucher money? Is it still owed? Or does the state reclaim it? Uh, what, how does that work? No. <laughs> there, there is no data collected. This is the private sector. This is the risk you take for going into the private sector. They don't have to report these things. Um, uh, and, and it's it's unfair for the for the consumer, you know, for the person using the voucher. This is the risk you take for the taxpayer. This is unfortunate because we did have that recent um, work done by you folks, WF. Yeah, sorry, I can't remember which station was doing it, but there was a tremendous research on um, uh, suspension, uh, suspensions, confinement, and what have you in the public schools, and the difficulty of keeping track of all that data, and and what to do with it, and how to make things better for these students. We don't know what's happening to these students in private schools. Who's being asked to leave? Um, I'm sure with the money part, there's probably a process and procedure, um, in the sense that the second deposit of the year won't happen, right? Because the, the, the schools are paid in two lump sums. And mm-hmm. um, so that's if they're asked to leave the first semester, or the first half of the school, that second um, payment won't happen. But they may have other bills. Like the parents still may owe money to the school. Mm-hmm. Um, they may have collection agency going after them. Um, yeah. yeah. Typically, you pay when you pay tuition, it gets booked up front by the school yeah. and the, you don't get no. you don't get a refund and if you drop out or right right leave. yes Eric any other take on that oh we seem to have lost Eric for just a second <laughs> um, yeah I was going to ask so Carrie when you were watching the legislature this year were there were there other issues that you were paying particular attention to um, besides the voucher issues, which ones worry or concern your uh, organization? Um, 
Well, we're, we're a group that, it, you know, we advocate for all children to have high-quality, equitable um, education in well-funded schools, right? So funding is very important to us. So just the overall budget number is a big concern to make sure that our schools are well-funded um, and that the funding, because of the inflation last year, would actually keep up and, like, um, help out these schools um, to, you know, um, afford their teachers and um, and whatever else that the tuition support fund covers, which is inside the classroom funding in uh, Indiana is a little tricky to understand, right? Because we have our property tax dollars and then we have our state tax dollars um, and then federal tax dollars. Uh, our property tax dollars pay for, you know, the buildings, pays for the superintendent. Um, but yeah, the state house, the other things were, you know, the culture war bills. Yeah goodness, um, which were, you know, you feel like are a distraction. Um, it's supposed to, you know, weaken the faith of public schools, right? Um, for, for consumers to go, oh, gosh, I, I better send my child to a private school where it's safe and I know that, um, you know, these things won't be happening. Um, oh, but, um, but, but it's also a distraction in the sense that you're like, oh, while they're doing that, what's happening with funding and voucher expansion and all these other important things that um, keep these um, public schools running. Um, and so it was unfortunate. And also, you know, you have your your bills that affect our minority kids or um, LGBTQ kids and stuff. Those bills are tragic. And a lot of these bills are copycat bills that are just showing up in every state house um, around the nation and passing it in conservative um, states. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's uh, why follow sports when the legislative <laughs> session is much more of an adventure? Um, uh, but yeah, so we were following these bills and we tried to, you know, um, speak up against these bills. We have a lobbyist that is at the state house and um, speaks against or in support of um, legislation. Um, and uh, yeah, so we were keeping our eye on those things. Okay. Yeah. We have about uh, two minutes to go. Eric, I want to ask you, Lori, if you don't mind. I'm okay. <laughs> Eric. Sure. Uh, what, where are the next uh, where are the next battles when it comes to public education in Indiana, public private education, education of our kids in Indiana? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think we've seen a, a, a preview the, the past you know the past two years. Um, I, I do think the issue around um, partisan school boards is gonna is gonna come up. I mean, I think seeing more and more um, people running. Um, by choice with a, a political party, um, I, could, I think that's going to come up again um, to make that a mandated thing. Um, I think that I think there's going to be more focus on curriculum that we're, we're seeing. You know, I mean, there has been a few bills that have come out and been passed about um, you know sex education um, and you know controversial topics, but I, I think they haven't gone as far as some people want to see. So I think those issues that we've already seen will be back again for sure. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, for, for school choice, I mean, I do think, we've mentioned already, like a full-on universal program. Um, mm-hmm. I would expect that probably in the next year or so. Can I ask you for um, your view of, of the, the arguments that would favor putting political parties on candidates who are running for a school board? I mean, I, I guess I can I can repeat what I've yeah, been told right. by the, yeah by those who are those who favor it. I'm um, you know say that they believe that'll like let voters know you know what some of the the beliefs are of the candidates running. 
Um, and I think also then it gets into, you know, are there going to be like local parties involved also in choosing the people, you know, who, who run? Um, the people who, who support it, you know, that's what they say. I believe every, almost every school district in the state or every school superintendent, I mean, every school board leader in the state was against that law, you know, in the past year or so. Um, this association for school boards is against that. Um, so there's definitely no one, very few people currently in a school board position are in favor of that, um, as I'm aware of. Okay. How's your organization feel about that? Uh, <laughs> well, I, I want to go back to the other question. 30 seconds. 30 in regards seconds. to bills that okay. might be showing up, it's going to be probably changing the, the number of days required to the number of hours required per year for schools. Instead of 180 days, it'll be a set amount of hours, so they could change it to f allow four-day school days. Um, and then also um, micro schools. There'll be some legislation probably about micro schools and maybe even like homeschool in terms of universal choice and funding and what have you, allowing money going to um, homeschools. And when there is, we'll do a program on micro schools. <laughs> yeah. All right. I want to thank both of our, our guests today, Eric Weddle, Managing Editor for WFY's Education Desk, and Carrie Mixa, who's the Chair of Indiana Coalition for Public Education in Monroe County. For my co-host, Lori McRobbie, thank you very much. And for Mike Pashkash, our engineer, and Nathan Moore, our producer, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org.